to the Drum Corps Podcast. I hope everyone has their finest Bucky's apparel on because we are talking Texas band tonight. Uh, those of you who are watching live, uh, please feel free to toss any questions you have for our guests in the chat. Uh, and that being said, we're really excited to have all our guests here today. Thank you so much for um, joining us on the Drum Corps Podcast. And uh, let's start getting getting into it. Uh, Dave and Cyrus, do you have anything before we uh, introduce our guests? Uh, not really. Just wanted to say thank you to everyone for coming out. Uh, this is the last episode in our regional series, I guess. Uh, we just did a lot of conversation about East Coast, West Coast, and Midwest. And the reason we set, uh, kind of set up Texas to be by itself is I know I work in special education now, but um, there's a lot of times when I was in college, even from my non like marching band friends, you're always like, Texas just gets it right. So I guess I just want to preface it by saying the point of tonight's episode, we have a great panel, by the way, I'm super excited of people who are currently marching drum corps, done marching drum corps, been at Texas for a while in the college or high school scene and folks that just, just moved there because of Texas's reputation. So tonight we got a lot of really cool things that I hope we can kind of take to our own band programs of what Texas does right, what Texas does wrong, what we can learn from it and why it just tends to be a drum corps hub because, I don't know, it's just always been interesting. So I guess, Aubrey, we'll start with you for introductions. All right. Um, well, I'm Aubrey Campbell. I marched Crossman 2016 through um, currently. My, this would have been my age out in 2020, but for, that's on hold until 2021, hopefully. Um, I live currently in Denton, Texas. I am a gymnastics coach and I go to Tony and Guy for cosmetology school. All right, I'm next. My name is Brad Meyer. I'm the or percussion professor at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. I'm also the vice president for the Texas Percussive Arts Society's chapter and the chair for the Progressive Arts Society's Health and Wellness Committee. Uh, I taught Madison Scouts Front Ensemble for, I think, two or three years. I always get that wrong. And then Blue Stars for one. And then I marched uh, the cadets from 02 to 05 in the Front Ensemble. Hi, I'm Davis Smith. Uh, I marched five years of drum corps. Uh, 2011 Academy, 1214 Cavaliers, 1617 Blue Devils. Um, taught uh, DCA drum corps from uh, Staffordshire, uh, United Kingdom, called Kids Grove Scouts, as well as the Genesis Drum Mule Corps um, from Austin, Texas. Um, and I am currently moving from Arizona to Texas to start my position as the associate band director at Thomas Jefferson High School in Dallas ISD. I'm Cody Miles. Marched two years at the Cadets, 2017 and 2018. I currently live in Denton, Texas, where I attend University of North Texas as a percussion music education major. I grew up in South Lake, Texas, um, and just love bands. Hi, everyone. I'm Mark McGahee. I'm the director of bands at Keller High School. I've been there for uh, this will be 25 years. Uh, my drum corps background goes back to the 80s. I'm the old guy on the podcast here. So I marched Skyriders and Garfield Cadets 
uh, have taught drum corps, uh, Black Gold, Skyriders, and actually taught Cavaliers uh, Hornline from 01 to 09. And then I've been a DCI judge since 2013. So I've really enjoyed getting to uh, see all phases of drum corps from a, a member to a staff member to all of a sudden being an adjudicator. It's, it's been rewarding at all, all three levels. I do just want to say before we get going that as a Cadets fan myself, Brad is the man in 2005 to went Bob Duba. So just as one pit man and electronic fans another, it's really awesome to have that on the podcast. And as a cadet. That was the highlight of my career. It's been downhill ever since. You've been so. you've been watered down to a scat That's rhythm. Right. Congratulations. <laughs> all, all that practice and all that work on the marimba, yeah. and I got known for the guy that went skibba-da-ba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was also a really good drum book that year, too, I will say. Oh, and, it's always the best with Tom and Neil. Oh, yeah. So uh, I guess we'll just get right into it tonight. So we're talking Texas. Um, I guess we have on our notes, just let's just talk Texas. Why, why is like Texas, I guess, quote unquote, the best state? So I guess before we talk music, let's just or, or like I'll let you guys get that part out of the way. So what's like y'all's favorite part about living in Texas or like maybe David's, you can say like why you moved to Texas? Um, well, do you want me to talk about just in general or do you already want me to get into the, the career path leading me to Texas? We can do either. I just think it's as like a Southerner, I just know I, whenever someone's like, oh, Texas is the South. And I'm like, no, Texas is Texas. Texas is not a Southern state. They tell me country. Yeah. And so I guess just for our podcast folks, I think that's a good place to start. Of just like Texas is different. It's also just this giant state. So I guess if you want to start like career wide, you want to move there. And we can kind of start the conversation there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. So one of the huge things for me was I told myself that I was never going to um, live in a northern state like Michigan or Illinois where it's snowing all the time because I just can't handle that. So it just so happens to to be that, you know, the best state for band in the United States is uh, in nice, mostly warm Texas. So I, I, I chose my favorite flavor of heat, which is not Houston humidity. Um, looking for a place to move to but um i i moved to uh to a school in dallas called uh thomas jefferson high school i'm the associate director there um finished up two years teaching in arizona um a lot of uh reasons led to me making the move um the one of the big reasons being the culture and just wanting to uh be surrounded by some really high level educators and to continue to learn. Um, I was very blessed to student teach with Mark McGahee um, and learned a lot from him. And I've, you know, really sought to educate myself so that I could educate my students better. And, um, you know, I, I firmly believe if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Um, so I wanted to move and be around people that I could mold myself um, in, in their image a little bit. So that, that took me out to, you know, Texas and, you know, I'm my, it's my first day moving into my apartment today and it feels a little bit like Phoenix weather and in a good way, it's not humid like Kansas city where I've been for the past few months uh, with my fiance's family. So, you know, nice, nice warm weather, really good band. And, you know, if you, we want to get further into that a little bit later, we can get a little bit further into that later. So. I guess does anyone else want to add to the epicness that is Texas barbecue, anything like that, or do we just want to get right into music? Because I feel like give a Texas chance to talk about Texas, someone's bound to do it. Texas thinks very highly of themselves. If people can't figure <laughs> that out, 
So they they think they have it all figured out. It is the barbecue in the in the uh, tech specs. It is it is pretty good. That it's. Uh, uh, go ahead. I'll tell you what. My first day in Mark's band room, I was in for a real shock when uh, the kids turned for the Pledge of Allegiance, and it started off with "Honor the Texas Flag." <laughs> I pledge allegiance to thee. So if it that says anything about how Texas uh, views itself, it's it's <laughs> right there. I don't in think that. any other states in the union probably do a, a salute to their own <laughs> state flag. So. Republic so of Texas. Confused. Not Virginia, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> so I guess um, we'll just get right into it, as just since we're talking education. Um, I, I know, Mark, you, you had some really great points about this. Uh, I, so what makes Texas such a like nationally known state music education? Um, is it like, I, I, I hear a lot of things about like Texas football. Like I've heard the analogy that like, God in Texas is high school football, so Jesus is the marching band. I've I've heard like they just really like music. They got nothing to do because they just all go to high school football games in the weekend. I, I've heard a lot of like conflicting things about it. So like, is Texas successful because the football is successful? Is it something with y'all's legislation that makes it so prominent? Like, why is music such a big deal, and why is it that we see so many great musicians come out of Texas? Sure. I'm going to have to, to research the marching band is Jesus part of it right there. I'll let you know about that. Um, it, it's, it's all the elements together. It's, it's funded really well. It's supported really well. There are lots of advocates. The history runs pretty deep. Uh, you have band programs that go back to the, like the 40s and the 50s out in West Texas that really were the trendsetters in, in most of the stuff in the nation. And of course, that permeated throughout the whole state, especially in the metropolitan areas. The, the football portion of it, uh, I think people want to see, you know, it, it's school spirit's a big thing in Texas, where if you go to different parts of the nation, attending a football game, much less an away football game with your band program, uh, spirit squad, palms, et cetera, that's, that's unheard of. But in Texas, that's kind of a given. You will be home games and away games in a normal year. And with that, there's lots of extra help from the funding. It's not the athletic department that funds it, but it's, but it's basically the school districts say, hey, what does it take for our band to be there to show spirit? And so that's where the capital outlay comes in. Hey, we need to have this many SUSE phones. We need to have a drum line that does this. We have to have buses that get us there. We have to have uniforms that you know, are, are the, the competitive style, et cetera. So there's, there's super, super support at, that, at the level. On the state level, you have strong organizations that I don't think uh, exist in lots of places. Of course, there's TMEA, people probably have heard of, uh, Texas Music Educators Association, but you also have Texas Bandmasters Association. Those are, are uh, deeply rooted uh, in the sense that they have people that are, that are strong looking at things that in legislatures uh, that are making sure they're protecting what we're doing. And, and I don't know if other states have that. Let's say if um, some states talking about let's increase the PE requirement with beginners. And so all of a sudden they're going to take away music programs. Well, there's someone that's a, that's a lobbyist that's hired by the, the uh, TMEA organization say, Hey, we're going to protect this. And they have, they have gone to bat for and protect the tradition of, of music education. And, uh, uh, that's pretty unique and in turn that really helps out the local organizations and of course the states and, and other cities in the state that can can, uh, can do this the funding uh, we all have heard about the texas stadiums right uh, like for instance that's a that could be a football thing but it's a source of pride where you have 
stadiums that are 20 and 30,000, you know, for high school football stadiums that a lot of people in drum corps, especially when you go, you're going, man, my college stadium isn't that big. And I think everyone's always said that. And you go, yeah, right over here is a high school. Look on that hill over there. There's another high school football stadium with another school district that's just as big. And uh, that's unheard of, but especially that's, that's protecting and, and really supporting uh, extracurricular activities. So, um, Aubrey, how is that like as a student uh, raising up in Texas? I know you did the color guard scene, but like, was that sense of school pride something you saw there? And like, how is it when, because uh, she marches across when she said, when you have people come from other states and start talking to you about like having camps in Texas, did you like, did your fellow core mates notice differences from being in there or, and how was it being a student in a state like that? It's, it's really crazy. I, um, I definitely got thrown into the activity with little to no information, like no knowledge of what I really was getting into, but um, being able to um, see what goes on beyond state lines and how they're like, it's just not as important. And that's crazy. Like, that's all I've ever known is like the football team chanting, like, state that you know like they were so so excited for us to like be going to state and stay for the band program right yeah yeah for the yeah it's just crazy for them to support that um audibly to other schools and to like see that support and to feel that support um from the get-go like that just like that's just so unheard of i think um especially like growing up you think like band is like made fun of and for a football team to like that does well as well um for them to show that support to us whether that just be stemming from school spirit um it's just really cool and from the people that come from other states for crossmen like they like that's so unheard of for them to like oh my god your football team didn't make fun of you are you serious (laughs) um yeah it's just like it's just the the appreciation and the support you have from all other departments whether it be like soccer football basketball it's just like hand in hand it's really really cool it's awesome yeah I remember um like not I I don't want to have like a jealous feeling but like I know uh (laughs) my my 1a band we we got like we won a grand champion once as a 1a band we beat a couple other folks and we like we're super proud because we hadn't done it in a while. We broke 90 for the first time in like 10, 15 years. And like, we got to work the next day and like, it came over the announcement. I'm cool. And everyone just went, eh, whatever. But like football <laughs> beat somebody by like a point and everyone's like, oh, that game was crazy and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, it's the idea that music is just as important as the football. It's like, it's really awesome to hear. And I guess I kind of want to sit on that a little bit of that school pride thing of, like I know Davis, uh, you're, we're getting ready for the fall. Um, as Davis and I are, I'm a first year teacher, like completely first year, but I know Davis, it's the first year in a new system. So like, how do you feel like, is, do you feel like that's something that you've been kind of ready, excited to be a part of this year? Um, or like, how do you feel like that's something you're gonna be able to put into your classroom? Or do you feel like it's something that's already there? Um, that that's a very hard question to answer to be totally honest um i will say that the program that i'm coming into has uh a lot of great things going for it but um there's a lot of things even for our school that's up in the air right now um the school thomas jefferson uh if you guys had seen a 
in the news that a high school was hit by a tornado last fall. Uh, oh, yeah. That's actually Thomas Jefferson High School. So we have a lot of things to figure out beyond, you know, COVID. We are also, you know, we have an entire high school packed into an elementary school um, until the school can be rebuilt. And that's going to take about two years. Um, so we've got a lot of things going on. I know um, the the head director has kind of been hesitant to make plans because of the back and forth between, you know, the Texas attorney general, the school districts, the local counties making decisions. So it's really, really hard for us to make plans right now. Um, that said, um, you know, whether it's, uh, it's an inner city school, like I'm going to be working at in Dallas ISD or somewhere out in Keller or Plano or Grapevine, um, we all have, you know, a pretty similar approach and uh, being lucky like I was to be able to student teach with Mark, um, kind of the systems that are in place in the program that I'm walking into are kind of what I picked up for my student teaching, what I've been practicing over the last two years. So, you know, there, there are some things that are going to be easy to walk into. Other things are going to be hard to walk into. Um, the hardest thing for me is not getting to meet in person the students that I'm going to be working with for the next year. Um, it's really important, especially as you're trying to grow a culture, that there's mutual respect and understanding that, you know, the students know that you care about them. And that's going to be uh, something that's going to be a huge challenge to establish, um, you know, with the kids. So the, there's there's a lot of things that it's going to be, you know, pretty simple. Like, you know, we can uh, we know how to approach getting the kids better on their instruments. But there's so many things beyond that that um, it, it is pretty daunting kind of what's going to be coming up into the new school year. And I know it's not just me. It's, you know seeing Darcy Williams not knowing how, you know, they're going to start beginners on instruments over virtual learning because you can't go in and adjust somebody's embouchure or fixed hand position. So the, there's a lot of a lot of question marks that we're going to be figuring out as we, we start back up again. Um, so just so I just want to ask, just because I know it's not something happening in Virginia, but did I hear uh, most band programs are starting virtually um, and doing stuff like music, stuff like that? Um, I, I can speak for what kind of the plan is right now. Our district has moved, uh, moved back our start date to September 8th, and that's virtual instruction. Um, but they've set up a new calendar this year to where we can actually wait to start until November and still finish on time um, wow. with how they've, they've set up the days. So we're set to start virtually um, as far as if the September 8th, timeline works but you know it's possible it could get moved back to november and you know everything's taken care of when we can open up in person it's it's really hard to say but that's just how dallas isd has been handling it and i know we're one of we're the biggest district in the metropolitan area in the dallas metroplex so um we kind of set a little bit of the precedence there since there's so many students involved with those decisions but um, I'm sure Mark can probably talk about maybe what's going on in Keller and maybe some of those other, the Fort Worth side of uh, the Metroplex and how they're handling things. Yeah, I think in, in uh, several of the school districts where I am, and it's changed obviously a couple of times. Uh, we, the students have an option of coming to school or being staying home and being taught remotely. Uh, they'll have that for the first grading period. So they had to make a choice. Most school districts have done something like that. The ones that haven't have actually said, hey, we're just going to start remotely. We had that uh, this time last week. That's what our district had said. And then the attorney general came out and said, you're, you're going to need to change your mind on this. And then they, they immediately kind of flip flop the idea. So it's, 
it's up in the air and I bet it changes even a couple more times, but uh, Austin schools, very similar to what we're doing in addition to Houston, San Antonio, uh, we're, all, we're all making the same type of ideas, but generally there's, there is a remote option though. Okay. So I guess in this situation, I know in the past, it seems like I actually hadn't heard someone opening up in November because I'm, I'm in a state, I don't want to talk bad about Virginia, but I know we're very much trying to push, uh, at least in my county, to have kids there. Um, and it seems like something not just music education related, by having by giving the teachers options to go in November, it seems like just education as a whole is just prioritized in Texas. Um, I know we lightly started talking salaries last night of like first year teachers compared to maybe Brad in the college scene of like how it just seems like the education community as a whole in Texas is just set up very healthy. And I wanted to know if anyone wanted to like talk about that. I can, I can talk about that a little bit just because I, in the past month dealt with both salary uh, kind of perspectives. Um, that actually was one of the big reasons for me coming to Texas. Um, at my previous employment, I was the only director. Um, so I was in charge of all the ensembles, all the administrative duties. Um, you know, I had multiple after school ensembles just because we had horrible scheduling issues where, you know, we couldn't do multiple level ensembles during the class period. And with all of that put together, my, my base salary as a second year teacher was $31,000 plus a additional about $3,000 stipend. Um, and coming out to Texas, you know, working in uh, DISD, um, starting salary for a beginning teacher is $58,000 plus oh. uh, the assistant director stipend is $7,000, which is pretty normal for uh, most most school districts in the it's Dallas Metroplex. I know if you, I know if you look at Louisville, I think their starting salary is like sixty-four thousand or something like that. But um, there are some very big differences, and obviously, cost of living has something to do with it as well. Like we don't, uh, there's no state income tax in Texas, so that kind of affects you know the the gross income that you have from your salary. So there there is a very large difference, and obviously, there are some states that pay well, like California, but you know, you have to take into account the cost of living in San Francisco is a, a lot different than the cost of living in Dallas. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I've got a little anecdote. I wrote an article for uh, the Percussive Notes and it was on, you know, just being smart with your finances as a musician. And part of that is obviously making a budget that's kind of finance 101. And so I used uh, one of my just graduated students salary and his expenses. And then I had a peer just review it and checked it. And they said, you know, I think you're gonna need to lower the amount of income. I don't think it's gonna feel very applicable to a lot of people. Um, and I said, but that's what he makes. And, and the person editing said, yeah, but most other states don't make nearly as much as a first year teacher. So that's when it really kind of hit me how well Texas does with financially supporting band directors that's it's all all teacher salaries are, are a good base and then of course we all get a stipend uh to do extra things like band directing so it's yeah it, it, you are rewarded for that as someone who like just recently like two years ago made the decision to go to college for music education i had so many people trying to talk me out of it like don't go into music you'll never make any money like what are you doing? Change your degree. Um, and it seems like Texas as a state is a really great place for music education to be a valid career. 
that isn't just, oh, I live paycheck to paycheck. It's like, this is what I do. This is what I love. And you get at it, like you are adequately paid for it. Um, and I think that definitely raises the bar of the educators that we have here, just because if you can get paid to do what you love, the people that are doing it are just going to pour their heart and soul into it. Yeah, I think uh, now might be a good time to uh, toss it to maybe Aubrey or, or one of the people who's in charge with budget, budgets, because I know in, in some areas, uh, maybe the, the music team is well taken care of in terms of uh, getting paid, but sometimes the guard or dance staff gets overlooked. Um, so I'm just wondering uh, to what extent the, uh, the guard staff is, is similarly uh, well taken care of compared to uh, maybe some people who are working with the winds or the drums. I, I taught a winter guard for a winter season in 20, 2018, yeah. Um, and I just, I was employed through like the band booster program. So I wasn't like employed through ISD or anything. So um, there was, it was like, I had to like request my payment. I had to like go through a couple extra steps um, just to make sure I was going to get that paycheck. I actually um, didn't get my paycheck until I was on my way to my 2018 spring training. I was like, oh, I'll just pick it up on my way to spring training. Hope <laughs> it's there. Um, <laughs> I got it. It was all good. It was all paid for. It was good. But yeah, it was it was just like that little extra amount of stress um, just because um, like color guard technicians were just paid through that booster program instead of like a pretty, um, you know, standard setup of um, payment or whatever. I got you. If you don't mind, like maybe like just sharing amounts you feel comfortable with because I know like in Virginia, um, like I know, Cody and I were sharing this last night. I as an assistant band director get uh, 2.8K. That's like the coach stipend. And it turns out that's like $3,000 is like a starting tech fee, which means that I as an administrator for a marching band that's like, done like first aid and stuff with kids and like done a lot of things. I'm a designer. I do the electronic. So like I get paid less than a tech in Texas, which was kind of a little, a little annoying, but and it's what it is. It just shows yeah. that Texas take care of the little folks. So I was kind of curious at the guard side, you know, we pay, yeah. uh, I know most guard instructors in Virginia are really lucky to get more than a thousand. Um, and I know head guard instructors, I've heard some get as high as 15 but it's really rare. Like it seems to be like a thousand is like the normal guard tech, even like head instructor for like winter guard. And I was kind of curious how like the winter guard scene, at least from the staff perspective is, do you guys feel well-funded or, and then like, or do you feel like you've been making more, but then talk to other States and realize it's a good situation or is it maybe the guard scene could use some more love down there? Yeah. I, so I hopped on to the, the staff train, um, not, not like right at the beginning so I didn't join till like right at the end of January beginning of February and from that time until the winter season was done or I I stayed until I left for drum course that was like mid-May so from like the beginning of February to mid-May it was actually a little under 1300 for the season which is actually a lot more generous than I assumed it would be because um, it was very 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 last minute um, so that 1300 for those couple of months, but, um, but yeah, anybody like, um, living on their own or not at home, like most certainly not a, 
not a livable wage. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was just kind of like an extra on top of my job kind of thing. So it was just kind of more of a, like a recreational thing, just something that I knew I would enjoy. So I definitely um, wasn't doing it to make a living because I knew that wasn't really a plausible situation. Gotcha. But yeah. But still, it's still crazy to think that like that baseline salary is still more than like head instructors get where I'm from. And I know like, right. uh, yeah. I know Brad can probably confirm like since he's from the South Carolina area, like I, we, it's, I know it's not super kosher to talk paychecks, but like, it's just one of those we do talk. And I know like at least the part of the state I'm in, it really sucks. I'm a big proponent of like the college in town. I'll, I will pay them. It's like, you can, there's a community service part of your degree. You can come do that here because like we can't pay you, but you can get a college requirement to come work with us. And so I know like we have to do, or I did some like really backdoor things, getting staff and we took care of them. It's like best as we can. And so like, if we offered them something and they took it, we made sure they got it. So I don't want to see like we were like skirting staff members, but like, it was just one of those, um, it's always interesting to hear about that. And that's something like I, Loved hearing about that because I know Cody and I, we had like Matt Wyckoff. He moved down there to work in, uh, not Parkins. Where was he work? Where was he working down there? Woodlands, which is in Houston. Yeah, he was working in Woodlands and like that was like his job. Like he just moved down there to just go teach high school band. But like now as a director, it's like just a tech. And so it's just crazy to hear like how well Texas take care of its teachers. It's like a base level. I know it's not livable, but it's just, it's, it's it's just obscene amounts of money that I never thought band directors could say. Um, yeah, and and just kind of to piggyback on that, you know, being a percussion kind of director, kind of a percussion specialist for a school that's big enough or a couple of schools in an area is a very viable job in Texas. I've got a couple of students that have graduated that do that down in Houston, and they just teach lessons at schools they're not actually formally employed by those schools so it's a very unique thing i i don't know if california maybe does it but uh i from where i've been they haven't done that anywhere else yeah and just uh, even not just a general note for texas but i have seen a lot of texas band directors sharing this lately on social media you were talking about you know not being kosher about sharing salaries but you know i i'd say that there's a lot of directors in texas who have been pretty open about the fact that Yes, we work with kids, um, but this is our job. It is, you know, how we provide for our families. And, you know, that is an important decision to make because, you know, we love what we do. We love getting to help kids, but at the end of the day, we need to provide for our, our families as well. And sometimes, you know, those are decisions you have to make because it, it is a job at the end of the day. It is, you know, how you provide for yourself, how you're saving for your retirement someday. Um, so that's, you know, for anybody who's listening, who's thinking about going into music education, whether it's Texas or elsewhere, um, that's one thing to remember is, you know, love what you do, but also remember you have some responsibilities to yourself, to your future and to your family that you'll have, whether it's now or in the future as well. So always keep that in the back of your head. Well said, Davis. I think that's something that a lot of people only figure out, uh, especially when they get uh, almost sometimes too old to move to a different place to get that portion of their life, you know, figured out. And I remember being in Kentucky and the head band director of a school was working at Starbucks on the side and it was just floored me. I was like, holy cow, 
this guy's got to work 20 hours a week at Starbucks so that he can be on Starbucks health insurance so that he can provide for his family. And I'm seeing him out on the field for band camp, for Friday night lights, for Saturday competition, and he's still having to work Starbucks. So I think that's one thing that I really love about Texas. And there's probably some other places, but that they really do take care of uh, their educators. And that so, time that he's working at Starbucks, he's not wor- he's not spending with his family as well. So that's another thing to remember as you're taking on side jobs. So something I just just clicked in my head because I, I have like a light connection to talk about last night about Texas. My dad, um, when the fertilizer plant exploded in West a couple of years ago, my dad used to work for ATF with the natural response team. And so we spent about like two months down there. And so one of the things he talked to me that was really interesting was how the fire department was like a big part of the community. And like when one of the firefighters died in that thing, it's like the whole community took that. Um, and I feel like that sense of community, I feel like it is like the way Davis described it. I know the band directors in my area and the teachers in my area, we kind of really try not to talk politics because we don't want to like either get in trouble or we don't want to like influence the kids, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like if I'm hearing it correctly, I mentioned the firefighters because I feel like Texas is just defined by like really tight nets of community. There's a lot of open space. And so where there's people, you guys really hub together. And I feel like is if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, the band director is one of those community leaders that like has that plays a giant. Am I correct in that? That like just plays a big role in the pulse of the town or am yeah, I just, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And, and I'll, I, I always brag on this one uh, friend and music educator of mine uh, who teaches at Mount Enterprise down the road from me at a high school. And I always call him the mayor of Mount Enterprise because he's the head band director and he's involved in everything that goes on with that town basically. And, you know, the, I think the town is, I, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's somewhere around a thousand, I'd say. And, uh, you know, a smaller town, but, you know, they really look up to him for, you know, how things should be done. And, and he gets asked for input a lot on not just band stuff, but how the schools run and for some things in the community even. So, yeah, I would say the band director is a very vital part of uh, small and large, you know, kind of groups of population. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a public figure, you know, you, as you, uh, the small towns, I mean, people would know, I mean, you go to the grocery store and there's the band director, just like the football coach type of thing. But even here in, in bigger uh, metropolitan areas and suburbs, it is a big part of what we do. And uh, people look up to you, the, the programs are big and they have uh, a lot of community support with that way. And so we try to give back to them, but you are in the spotlight and they do recognize that every Friday night, you know, they see, they see you in the program out there a lot. So there's, there's a lot of influence. So, Cody, um, since you said your music education, I'm assuming you want to stay in the great state of Texas. Um, I guess I got a kind of a bigger question than we had planned for it. How do you prepare for that? And like, how is, do you feel like your UNT is preparing for that is not just like, and it's also just a rarity to see a female band director, at least the part of the country I'm in. Like, how do you, so how do you feel like you're being prepared to be one of those community leaders? Is that something you guys think and talk about? Or is that something that uh, your music education classes talk about? Or is that just, you feel like your band director trained you just by being such a good example you can follow from him. So how did like you get ready for that role? Um, I think definitely a lot of it is credit to my high school band directors. Um, And I don't think this is quite unique to Texas, but I feel like the relationship that you build with your high school band directors doesn't end when you graduate. That's something that you know you can rely on them through college, through finding your first jobs. Um, 
And so I, I am very grateful to those directors who even at times tried to talk me out of it too, because they talked about, you know, it is hard you, to like build your family, um, to make enough time for your spouse. And they just really were passionate about making sure that any of the students from our program that did go into music education were sure about it. Um, just at UNT, I believe I have nine classmates um, from my graduating class that are also music education majors. Uh, which is very rare to have that many people come out of one program to the same school um, to do music. But UNT does have a very strong education program. Um, we go through a number of different education courses that take you through elementary music. You take methods classes where you learn all the instruments that you may encounter teaching in um, a band course, teaching beginner band classes, and then we also have a lot of opportunities to talk pedagogy, um, to do some student teaching, to peer teach and like encounter some of those issues that you might come across in the classroom, how to grow out of that, how to learn from that. And um, we also have a course that I don't know if everyone goes through this, um, it's called Professional Issues in Teaching. And I thought it was gonna be all the stuff about law or what you can do this you can't do this as a teacher but it was actually about like the history of education in america um, and how it started as an all-male profession and then almost flip-flopped to an all-female profession um, they refer to that as the feminization of education and kind of how we've had to walk our way back from that um, to declassify teaching as a feminine maternal role um, so I think in the music world, it might be less feminine than the general education system. Um, but there is definitely like the stereotype that female music education people usually end up in elementary and are less likely to go on to teach high school because they do better with little kids. Um, but I myself would like to teach elementary. Um, so I guess I fall into that little stereotype. Um, but I think that Texas does a very great job of empowering people and women to step up and be those leaders in the community. Um, and there's also just like a lot of support from peers, from professors and from other teachers to build you up and to say, yes, step into this role if you're ready for it, if you feel strongly about it and if you're passionate about it. So I guess, um... First off, thank you for that. That was awesome. It's really awesome to hear about that. Which uh, I know we ha we were trying to get them on this podcast, but they just uh, didn't respond back to us. Another good podcast from Texas, if you guys want to listen to it, it's a podcast called After Sectionals. Um, when I was music ed, I used to listen to them a ton. They would talk about things about there. It's two women band directors down there, and they just talk about awesome things as well as like some cool music education pedagogy of like why saxophones and euphoniums are good to put together because one sounds better and one plays faster, so they'll actually benefit each other. So really cool stuff. So if you want to go talk, uh, here's some awesome uh, female Texas band directors. After Sectionals is a great podcast to go listen to. Uh, something that kind of, we've really set up that Texas creates great people in the music education thing, but I also kind of want to get, take just a small step back as we have this whole conversation of like the student athlete and what it takes us to be successful. Um, Remind me, what's the organization you guys have that runs your extracurriculars? 
University Interscholastic League. So U okay. UIL. UIL. So the UIL. Um, what is that? And how does that affect every extracurricular activity? Well, it's, it's the organization that, that oversees all extracurriculars. There's a sports element, there's an academic portion, there's music. And uh, it, it's a governing body. It, it has a uh, constitution where it talks about rules. Let's say participation. Uh, it, it governs where you can't have the star quarterback that suddenly gets recruited and goes to the, the neighboring school and gets to play. Like there's a rule and in place of that. And so it looks out for those things. The one thing we were talking about last night that seemed to be uh, pretty unique was the no pass, no play concept. And that's, that's a UIL uh, thing where all students that you see participating in extracurriculars on the field, they are they have passed all their classes for that grading period. And uh, some states have something like that, but a lot of them don't. Uh, but it's an organization that really uh, oversees those things. Right now, they're having to make a lot of decisions uh, for the state about uh, are we going to have marching contests because of the situation. And so people look up to them for policy as much as anything else. So I just I just want to clarify and just hear that. So when you say every student on the field you're also talking about every jazz ensemble every concert band every stuff like that so every music every musician in a program is currently passing every class correct when, when you're in when you have a uh, something that you pay money to like a contest or a okay. football game or there's a trophy given those that's what makes it extracurricular but if we have a concert that's co-curricular and, and students per se don't have to be passing for that but okay. something where there's a true competition that happens or, or or like a jazz festival yes they would have to be passing those classes okay yeah i know and i think that actually shows the benefit um i shared with my kids whenever tmea posts literally anything uh the facebook group i was just in for my last high school i would just like quickly share that to the parents being like advocate for kids and music because i think uh tmea i think it was two years ago they posted all the sat scores of like so the average texas musician in like the symphony there it was like 1400s it was like, everything was above like a 1200 that if you participated in music and so i think that just shows not not trying to say like music education helps students but just like we're seeing great students in music education because texas as a whole requires you to pass so it's, i don't i don't i didn't mean that just to brag music and I guess um, maybe yeah. Aubrey or Cody. What was that? Well, I know I know the the data that you're talking about, and and it's a good uh, what's it? Correlation doesn't always equal causation. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, you know the it was the top all state band had this super high SAT number, and then you know other bands below were slightly below that, but they're all obviously very uh, high in regards to the regular average. But there's also a lot of factors that go into uh, other students that don't make the bands or, you know, the, a lot of inequity in income and uh, socioeconomic stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, that I do remember that. And I thought it was very interesting, but it's also not very scientific. Okay. Just, you know, yeah. just and I, that out there. I think that that could be attributed to a lot of other factors and students growth. And I think it's more of a, 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 a tribute to them as a person than it is to their participation in music. Um, I feel like a lot of the kids that are attracted to, band are kids that would be getting those scores regardless um so i, I think um while while it's great to celebrate those things i think that we give ourselves maybe a little bit too much credit in in that as well um and i think that the credit should be more more towards the students um and being lucky that we've attracted those types of students rather than because they play concert f and tune they're gonna get a better sat score so uh yeah. 
piggyback off of that, I actually disagree a little bit with you, Davis. Um, but I think, yes, like um, everything that you said was true, but I've also seen a lot of strong band directors investing in their students' academics. Um, so one of the student, the high schools that I worked for, the percussion director gave students homework days on Fridays um, instead of their percussion ensemble class or something like that. I know that um, the high school that I went to, academics were very prioritized. Um, and so my band directors, if they got, um, say I failed the test in my math class, either my band director would see that pop up in their um, grade book or my teacher would email them saying, hey, just FYI, so-and-so uh, didn't pass this test. And then they'd call me into their office immediately and be like, what's going on? We need to get you on the field, something like that. Um, so I know that I had a lot of support from my directors and um, from my school as a whole. They just wanted to see everyone excel and to do everything in their power to make sure that that was happening. And I think that that's one of the benefits of that no pass, no play is that it, it really creates kind of a family support group for every student. And it's not just the math teacher trying to get the student past math, the band teacher trying to teach them how to play an instrument. It's, it's, it's great. There are a couple negatives. It can, it can feel like, you know, the, the kids have secondary families that put even more pressure on them. Uh, I have seen a little bit of that, but for the most part, I do think it's a super positive thing. Uh, we even do it at the college level. You know, if a student of mine isn't passing music theory, I don't just go, well, at least you can hit a drum real good. You know, it's no, let's talk about getting you some tutoring. Let's see if we can incorporate a little bit more of that in our lessons. Let's let's talk through some uh, plan of attack, plans of attack, uh, bring that up, not just because we need to bring it up, but because every part of your education is important. So that's super jealous uh, as a special education teacher. It's very interesting to feel like. So I'm new to teaching, so I'm just going to say this very carefully to play the politics game, which Gareth and Cyrus know I'm very bad at. So at least the reputation I've been noticing around some of the areas I'm in, it's like if a student's not failing, I feel like oftentimes coaches or someone will go to that teacher that's failing the student, and it seems very confrontational uh, of like, why is my student not here? Why is, why, what did you do to get my student this grade, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like in Texas, um, a little bit of credit to the special education, hi, and the general education teachers, I feel like that family aspect should be highlighted because it seems like if the student doesn't pass a class, it's not necessarily on the teacher. It's, and it seems like they're then given resources to not just like, erase that failing grade, but like actually improve their skills and their cognitive abilities. Am I correct in saying that? I would yeah. say some, I, uh, I would say there still is sometimes that pressure uh, that you know teachers will get to change a grade so that a student can pass to play. But I think that Texas protects its teachers pretty well. So, you know, as long as the teacher has documented everything that they've done to help and how the grading's done, then you know there's nothing other to do than to help the student and that's what you got to do and so that's just i think a little part of that 
think what you also see, there's a lot of teachers, especially uh, music teachers that invest in the child themselves, not just in them as a, hey, you're a really good first trumpet player or a really good snare drummer. They're investing in them as a person. Uh, it's not all the time, but you do see the majority of that because I think that that uh, we're generally in this for the right reasons and and definitely passionate about helping kids excel for, for these different life experiences. I mean, they're all teachable moments, but hey, if we can provide a support group for them and be an advocate for them, not go fight battles for them, but say, let me give you some tools to do this. But uh, I think you'll see a lot of them that actually do give more investment in the child themselves. Nice. Um, I guess, Aubrey, I have a question for you. Uh, since I know Color Guard is not technically a music ensemble, it's going to fall more of the club aspect. So we just talked about all of the great stuff like that. And it seems in Texas, it's pretty easy to start a music ensemble just because, you know, it's banned. So it's going to do banned differently. So how does how is the indoor Color Guard, or at least the scholastic scene in uh, Texas? Um, is it simply you just start a group and you can get some school funding? Or like, and what does UIL have to do with getting uh, Color Guard started? Um, oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> ooh. So I guess like the, I'm not sure if this is what you're asking, like the recruiting part of it. Is that what you're asking? More of like how if, so your band program wants to start a Color Guard, uh, like an indoor Color Guard program for like WGI or the local Texas circuit. How do they come about that? Is it just something that like, oh, cool, we're a color guard now? Or is it is it difficult to start a color guard? Is there a strong desire for it? Or is it just one it, of those things that we kind of don't want to do? So um, I do think, especially in like um, more established schools where like the cheer team and the, the dance team or the drill team, whichever you call it, um, where those are more established, like it seems there seems to be some kind of um, stereotype that the color guard is like the rejects of those teams um like those are the girls that can't make the cheer team or the dance team but um I feel like as as years have gone by it's it's less of that and it's more of the actual interest of the activity and the art of that sport um so it's usually like the people that you recruit for the marching season they will stay at least the majority of them are in it for the long run and they will stay and they will they will help establish that winter program right after the marching season starts and they'll they'll be there um until they graduate or um you know so they they're they're the backbone of that program and they what their product that they put out as a as a color guard is what um is the backbone of what that program will be for the next year and the years to go on. Um, it, it, it really is. Um, Color Guard, aside from like band, is so, I think, different just because it's um, a lot of people don't start it till they go to high school or whenever they start their Color Guard program. So um, a lot of people start from ground zero and um, you just have to build it up from absolutely nothing. And it's all about your staff and it's all about the um, the knowledge and the the stuff they have to offer and how, their ability to build such a successful program, I think. One interesting thing that Aubrey just mentioned, she mentioned the term drill team, and that's a very Texas thing. <laughs> uh, there, there are a separate group of performers that are not cheerleaders and they're not palms, but they're a drill team. Uh, it's the Kilgore Rangerette style. 
Uh, so imagine the, the little cowboy hats and they, they do kick lines, that type of concept. Uh, so when you see in school, sometimes you see a big band program, but like the color guard could be smaller. Well, they're actually recruiting the same students. And there's this other group. Many parts of the United States don't have those. Uh, we go to the Midwest, for instance, in Indiana. They, that, that particular type of person who would be in that, they're in the color guard but they have the same skill set. So there's another, another group on top of that. And again, that ties it all the way back to that Texas football thing. That's very Texas footballish to have a drill team. And I, I think every group has one, no matter really, it could be a small group of numbers, but generally they're pretty active. Where Cody went to school uh, at Southlake, they, they were on America's Got Talent. I mean, they're, the drill team was, they're a big deal. And so that's a separate thing she talked about when you're talking about trying to recruit with some people and, and she gave, there is a stereotype that kind of goes with it, but they're just as, just as talented in the color guard, so. Yeah, for sure. David, one thing to add, you asked about funding for winter guard groups. Um, I think little to no funding comes from the school when it comes to those programs. I think um, a lot of it comes from student dues I know I recently worked with a first year indoor percussion group and their student dues were $780 uh, per student. And that's not too far out of the ballpark for average. Um, I think the range that I've heard is somewhere between like 500 all the way up to like 900. And I think a lot of that, uh, the student dues goes to paying the text, paying for the floor, paying for the music and stuff like that. And then um, I know there's also in my experience in Southlake, um, we had a lot of support from the parents, like, oh, someone's parent company makes t-shirts, they're gonna donate their t-shirts to us. And so I think that as opposed to like the fall marching program, the indoor programs really rely on the students, the parents and the community to make them run um, and a lot less on the school themselves. I agree. Um, so, I also have another question about like the guard scene, like the indoor scene uh, towards you, Aubrey, because I think it was something you mentioned last that I found interesting. And I guess this also goes with like the giantness that is Texas, because I think people forget that, although not the biggest state in the union, it's a pretty daggum big state that is Texas of like um, those schools from like El Paso and down south, if they want to do WGI, it's basically like 20 hours up to Dayton. So you were talking about Texas has their own indoor scene. Uh, what's the name of the Texas circuit? There's multiple. The one in North Texas oh. is NTCA. Um, that's North Texas Color Guard Association. There's one in like the Houston area, TCGC. Um, I actually can't remember what that stands for. So if anyone wants to jump in. Uh, <laughs> I think there's yeah, a separate there's... association out in El Paso too, out in West Texas. I think yeah, they started there, there recently. Is. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. the WGI circuit, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. to, so, to me, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're good. Um, just like if there are schools that aren't like necessarily ready or they don't really want to do WGI, they, they can stick to those circuit shows and still get that competitive um, like result that they're looking for to kind of um, get their feet wet and the people like the, the programs that do want to do WGI they can do um, at least the one, the high school that I attended, like we would do NTCA and we would do WGI um, regionals, like the ones that were local, like the WGI Dallas or WGI Austin. Um, and then we went to WGI Dayton 
like one time for a world championship. So it's just kind of like, it's definitely up to that program, what path they want to take competitively. And it seems like the Texas circuit is like fine by itself. Cause it's, it's also just weird to me. Like, I know we're about to get onto like why we've kind of set up why like a lot of drum corps comes from Texas and why like a lot of good drum corps students come from Texas, because like we just established like if they're playing, they're passing. And if they're passing, that means they have a good relationship with people. So they're ready to learn. But like when it comes to like the indoor circuit, at least you know for drums, I don't see a lot of, and I know you mentioned March of Monarch. I don't see a lot of Texas at Dayton which I think is odd because like everyone in their, I feel like everyone in Texas has marched drum corps at some point or marched yeah. drum corps somewhere else. But then when it comes to like Dayton, it's Southern California and Massachusetts, um, right. at least for Scholastic and then Color Guard, it's the Midwest and once again, Southern California. Um, and so why, why, why is it that there's not a lot of like Texas indoor or is what I'm hearing is Texas being Texas just has a good enough indoor scene within themselves and they don't really branch out to WGI very often. Um, I do think that, um, like Cody mentioned, how a lot of programs like fund themselves, like our, our dues pay for those competitions and the uniforms and the floor and the props and the equipment and the staff and all that. And um, if, if those programs do want to do like WGI and travel all the way from Texas to Ohio for Dayton, like they have to pay for that themselves. They have to fundraise that themselves. And they, um, whenever I went, we had to get approval from like the ISD for us to travel that far. Like there are some restrictions that we can't travel like more than 50 miles out of where our high school is. Like um, that run, there's just a lot of little factors like that like you can't afford it or you, you like you are literally restricted to your texas um circuit and even then like if you are there it is almost like a bloodbath especially like an a class guard like there's um like yesterday i think mark said like texas is a land of a guards and that is so so true like if you were to take all the a guards in texas and like compete them against each other like it would like a long day literal bloodbath yeah like it is incredible the amount of talent and stuff so like you you can definitely be satisfied with your with your product just staying in texas yeah i guess uh going off that something that we've uh, uh discovered a lot with the indoor scene talking about other regions is just how much it's changed over the last uh few decades or even few years um so I want to ask uh, some of the educators that have been around a little longer, maybe Mark, um, whether they've seen like really big changes in the indoor scene and how how many students are, are motivated to keep doing uh, marching activities or field activities in the wintertime um, and how that's affected uh, your your programs overall. I, I can say a little bit because I know we talked about this yesterday. You know, the, the one thing in Texas, the, the concert programs definitely take a lot of time, but also are a lot of the biggest priority in the spring, especially. So when that's that's one reason you don't see a lot of the active indoor drum lines. Uh, those guys are pretty 
pretty uh, spread pretty thin already. The concert programs, like there's five of them at my high school and everyone's extensively either taking lessons or they're in percussion ensembles. And they're also playing uh, literature that prepares for a, a, a spring contest. We do have every, uh, once in every kid's high school career, we'll have, um, uh, they get to play at an indoor show. And so we'll actually provide an indoor show experience for them because we think it's important. So for us, you know, it's funding, it's time. And so they, they go all day and then they get to do those extra events uh, on top of that. Five? <laughs> uh, yes, five, yes. Yeah, well, we and five five were planning to go to actually to, to compete a contest. That's actually fully instrumentated, which I know is going to drive you crazy. But yeah, five. We have there's 340 in my band program right now. So, and um, when we went to, when we did the Macy's parade, we we had over 400. So there's a lot there's a lot going on there. But five full concert bands, yes, and then two winter guards and an indoor drum line and a partridge in a pear tree. So, <laughs> well. <laughs> That is a Texas-sized music ensemble. That just there's that just, there's several programs that have as many too. So yeah, yeah, but it's 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 extensive, and, and with that, like it's it's a it's a corporation. I mean, there's a lot going on with those areas, and then uh, North North Austin, those Leander schools have a very similar kind of setup and have great excellence in the same programs. In addition to what you see in San Antonio and in uh, in Dallas and Fort Worth, yeah. But yes, five. So why my brain just resets after maybe not getting to teach the 50 kids that I get a look at for as an assistant director of my program as you have 350. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. That's a that's a big number. Um, let's talk some of the Brad in the college scene, because it seems um, like how's the college scene for music education in Texas? Well, it seems I know. Cody has described UNT as kind of a like music education farm where they just like churn people out. Like it's their job, but like, I know, um, I I guess, where do you work? What's your job at the college you're at? And then how, uh, what's it like talking to your colleagues in the different uh, big Texas schools for stuff like that? Yeah. So uh, SFA is, uh, or Stephen F. Austin state university is about two and a half hours North of Houston and about three hours East of Dallas. And so our program has, uh, the School of Music has over 500 students. Uh, Our marching band has over 300 marching individuals uh, and members of that group. And so it's a a very large school of music. And uh, I kind of joke, you know, it it would seem in any other state, if you were two or three hours away from the bigger cities, that you would be in the middle of nowhere and you would have a much, much smaller program. But because it is Texas, and just because SFA is, you know, I'm very biased. I think it's amazing and great. Uh, it's got a lot to offer. And so with music education at the college level, uh, you know, I think at SFA, we have a great philosophy of trying to prepare music educators for anything and everything and trying to make sure that we're putting their education at the forefront and not any kind of personal bias to make them the ultra competitive marimba virtuoso you know when i i teach students i'll i'll use the phrase you know i don't i don't particularly care if you don't hit a marimba one one time after you graduate because playing marimba isn't the point of being here it can be the point but it's not it's to learn how to make music it's about learning how to teach yourself and then learning through that how to teach others learning how to schedule yourself learning mental strategies practice strategies 
And so I think one of the fantastic things about SFA is it's a very teacher, uh, music educator driven school. And, and I love it because of that. We have some of, and, and I'm biased, I'm always saying we have the best students and cause we do, uh, but we have the best students and they've got great personalities. They work extremely hard. Uh, and sometimes they don't know what they're gonna be doing, but that's okay because when you're 18 to 21, you don't have to know what you're gonna do. You just have to learn how to work hard at whatever it is. And then whatever you end up pursuing after that, hopefully it's music, but it might not be, you're gonna be successful because work ethic, uh, you know, practice self, uh, self-building strategies are gonna be the backbone of any job uh, that you're gonna get, especially being a music educator having to, you know, really utilize all those abilities and talents. Uh, uh, University of North Texas for the response. <laughs> um, there's a lot of unnecessary rivalry between music schools in Texas. Um, and I think it- Texas and rivalries? What? <laughs> um, I think a lot of it is attributed to the educators that are pushing their high school students into the directions of those universities. Um, but you really have to do your research going into your college programs um, because you have to know what you're stepping into. You need to look at what professors do you want to study under? Uh, what have those professors done before their college experience? Um, because music education college isn't just so you can work with those people so they can get you to play better and so they can teach you how to teach. It's your network for the rest of your career. Um, and so I think it's just like, I wish it was easier for 18 year olds, 17 year olds to know exactly what that decision meant of like, I wanna audition here, I wanna apply here because you don't know those things until you're like two, three years into it. Um, but you can't go wrong with music in Texas. Yeah, and, and one of the things that uh, I always try to recommend, because uh, I don't want to be the old guy telling high schoolers what they should and shouldn't do, or, or I told you so, but you know, you get two, three, four to five uh, college visits day as a senior in high school, utilize them wisely, you know, go out to the schools that you want to be at and meet the professors and interact with them and see watch the observe them teach an ensemble watch them teach a lesson you know go to a music theory class because you may not have any idea what that will entail and that's okay by the way you don't have to know but i think it would really help a lot of people if they utilize their school visits for actually going to the school and visiting and and you know getting some contact with the professors early uh, i always send out this inv invitation to all the band directors that i can called uh, the Be a SFA Percussionist for a Day program. And I just invite students to come on our campus and they literally shadow a college freshman. And so they'll go to maybe a music theory class. They'll observe wind ensemble being taught. They'll observe percussion ensemble, steel band, maybe a jazz band. They'll watch me teach a lesson. They'll go out and watch the marching bands rehearse. And I think that, you know, maybe not everyone can do that. Maybe there's not enough time in the day. Maybe they just don't want to and they're already made that choice, but I, I would say even if you've made the choice to go to school, go, go there before you actually commit all of your time and energy for four to five years and money. Yeah, like, there you go. Because it's a huge investment. And like Cody was, was referencing, it's gonna be, that's gonna be your support network 
and you want to make sure that you do feel supported and that you feel that you'll be supported while you're there and after you leave. And so I, I, you know, I don't like being the old guys telling young people what to do, but I absolutely would say be smart with your high school visits day, visit days. Uh, I think Cody maybe had a little story about how she used hers. Yeah. Don't be like me. Don't use your college visit days to write off flying to a drum corps camp on a Friday. Just take the sick day if you're going to do drum corps in high school. And I think that's a really important point because like when you pick college and it seems like there's a lot of good colleges in Texas, I think from those that have been around the podcast a lot, I'm not a huge fan of where I went to my undergrad uh, for odd reasons, but I found a lot that I benefited from it. Like I, if I went into it with the professors and the later knowledge that I had, i would have definitely picked Liberty to begin with. Cause like, so I have a John Cage tattoo and I had professors actually like invest time in me and give me private lessons in Steve Reich and John Cage, which we were small enough school. We can do that. So like I got a really great time. Plus I met my wife and if you met her, she's so much hotter than I am. And like, I'm <laughs> super happy that I met her. So I'm benefiting that to like my college, but like there's a lot of times I wish I invested and looked in a little different, a little differently at colleges. And so it seems like Texas can be a college trap at times, but for those that outside the podcast, yes, college is important and make sure you're at the right one and just look at your different options. Just because your band director or your teachers went there doesn't mean you have to go there. I know Brad went yeah. far away. I went close. Cody went like right next door and it's all about where you go in the end of the day, but like just try and find the best spot for you. Yeah, and you should talk to people that have gone to that school recently because schools do I change did. their priorities. Um, yeah. I know <laughs> kind of a, a, a Texas example, you know, the, the priorities in the education studio at UNT and, and SFA are a little bit different based off our conversations, but even just understanding what your priorities are, you know, you want to be a band director, but what you want to do as your time in a band director can be vastly different than another classmate. And, giving a personal example, you know, if you talk to students from Northern Arizona University, they're going to tell you they get a lot of hands-on time with pedagogy. They get a lot more methods classes. But if you want to go to a school where you're, you know, asking a lot of questions, trying to figure out new, like, you know, what is music education, you know, Arizona State University is a much different option. And that even at ASU was very different 20 years ago. It's a, it's a different program. It has different priorities. So make sure that you're you're talking to people that have been to that university recently. So, you know, what are the current values of that program so that you can see, you know, is what I'm going to be studying something that is going to be in line with what I want to be doing as an educator. And, you know, it, that's very important. I'm, I'm sure Mark can tell you, I, I asked way, you know, sometimes way too many questions when I was at Keller and that's just something that was, you know, exacerbated when I was at Arizona State. So make sure that you're finding a program that aligns its values with your values um, so that you're going to enjoy your time and enjoy what you're learning because there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat when it comes to music education. So uh, for our final topic, because uh, we have to do it because we are called the Drum Corps Podcast. And I think this goes back to it where uh, – I know Texas recently just kind of seemed to have spiked with a couple different drum corps with uh, Crossman, obviously. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, not Legends, as well as um, Genesis. Genesis. Yeah. And is, Guardians. I, Genesis. Guardians. Guardians. Oh, we love Guardians. We're trying to get Guardians in the show because we. Lo I love yes. that core. 
They did a whole is show about Kanye West. Still around? <laughs> is Revolution still around? Because that. I think they're. I don't know if they no, are. Or not. I think they went inactive after 2011 or 2012. Yeah. yeah. No. So I guess I kind of want to start with uh, Aubrey because we brought you on because we love the Crossman color guard because like that card is awesome. Um, so like we just talked about all this stuff with Texas music education, and like I know a lot. We send we like I feel like Texas very much sends out their members to other parts of the world. But what's it like actually marching drum corps in Texas? Is it, does it feel more or less the same of when you went to school? I know Cody said she wanted something different, so she went to cadets. But like, as someone who stayed where you are, and I think had a very successful marching career, what's it like marching drum corps in Texas? Is it more or less the same, or is it there, or is just Texas um, but hotter? It's just really hot, um, for <laughs> sure. Um, I definitely think it's, like it there's really no it's different for everybody like it's just a different experience because i think like i said yesterday when you're at least in the color guard scene um your like your high school experience is 100 percent based on who you're taught by like because everyone seems to come to texas to teach so like i had a bunch of blue devil staff so i was taught like west coast technique and blue devil technique like that stuff like that and at crossman it is just not that way like it's not blue devil's technique it's like its own like hybrid of like um like a lot of um they're all from like atlanta or like east coast like it's just it's it's its own kind of thing but it's, it's definitely really, really cool. It's so different um, from high school because I, I knew it would be different because I knew I wasn't going to be taught by a bunch of Blue Devils because I wasn't marking Blue Devils. Um, so I, I just think it, it definitely um, is different for each person where they come from. But um, I definitely do think that staying in Texas was – um just a plus just it was just like a neighbor just like a neighbor you know like right down the street kind of thing super familiar like I knew it was going to be hot I'd already done it before um so but yeah I it's just so hard to really give a definite answer just because it's so different for everybody and I think something that needs to get mentioned at least some point is it, it seems like at least uh, I used to be roommates with the guy that worked admin at Troopers and they liked it every camp in Texas. Uh, I know cadets did a camp in Texas. It seems like everybody. And it seems to might have actually started with someone on this call about why Texas seems to be like, not just a drum corps center for students and cores to start off with, but for cores to do camps in. So Mark, why did you start having the Cavaliers in be in texas for camps like this well it's definitely going where the where the talent is it was there were several educators that were already from texas uh santa clara staff uh, bill watson and jed jed weeks dean westman they were they were a part of that for uh in the late 90s and the early aughts when we um started having more students for instance the, the brass staff i taught with we were all texas band directors and we had students that were coming to us and they saw that hey this is kind of the tip of the iceberg that next year, which would have probably been 02 uh, or 03 framework spin cycle that year, 
we those those years we had at least one camp in Texas, like the the November audition camp was there. Uh, then you started seeing several other top five groups that started doing the exact same thing. Uh, you have several groups that actually have multiple camps in Texas. And in fact, some of them do all of their spring training in, in that area. But it was neat being on the forefront of it. And I think we just kind of said, hey, this is this is just the beginning. You need to we need to go to where the area is, drive the semi down from Chicago. And it would take all week to get there, get get established at a school. In fact, one of them we had was was at one of my middle schools. And then we had a brass camp and percussion camp. I, well, maybe been color guard. It was a November camp, and that kind of got things started. And that was early in the in the uh, 2000s. And and now it's you see so many groups that have taken advantage of the exact same thing. There's such a wealth of talent. Uh, Austin has the same talent area. Houston. It's easy if you if you want to say, "Hey, I want to be. At, I live in Dallas, and I want to drive to Houston to a camp rather than get on an airplane and fly to San Francisco." It's, it's like get your foot in the door with the program. And then once you're committed, then you can do the follow-up camps there. So uh, Cody, how is it having, like, did you go to a Texas cadets camp? I did not. My, okay. Oh, okay. Um, I and my parents flew up to PA. Um, we flew in the day before because I was really concerned about what drum corps was going to be. Um, they stayed in a hotel all weekend, so they would be very nearby. Um, I was a baby, like, I had only known about drum corps for, like, a summer, maybe, and one of my directors was like, hey, you should think about doing cadets, and I was like, okay, bought my plane ticket, um, and thankfully, I did find, a, like, experience and family that I loved there, but if I hadn't, that would have been miserable, so I think that, like, having those satellite camps um, being near you is so important because especially with more and more high schoolers getting involved in drum corps, just like shipping your kid off to who knows where in a different state to get picked up on a shuttle at some airport is a very terrifying experience to transition into drum corps. And I don't know why I didn't go to a Texas camp. Crossman has a camp at my high school almost every year. Um, like they're just all over the place, but I just, happened to pick the drum corps that was forever away from me. Yeah, I'm actually interested, uh, how big is the Team Texas at uh, Cadets? Because I know, like, especially at Blue Knights, I know, like, we had dozens of just UNT kids, not to mention, like, University of Houston and other places in Texas. And so it felt like a Texas core, even though we were uh, up in the mountains. I don't know an exact number to put on it, but I'm I would have to say like, at least in 2017, 2018, somewhere around 20 people, maybe more. Um, and it's like, you find that person that's also from Texas and you're immediately friends because you're from the same state, duh, you're best friends. Um, and Texas tour was a really big hype. Everyone buys the Bucky's Texas shorts. There you go. Like, the <laughs> Texas flag shorts, there you go. Yeah, I have a couple pairs of those actually. You have <laughs> Don't to forget the uh, the bucket of iced tea that's outside of uh, Bill Miller oh, the San Antonio. Antonio. Yeah, yeah. It, Bill Miller. Bill Miller Barbecue. In, I think in 2017 we had between 40 and 50 members of the Blue Devils were from Texas, um, and then it was like 30 from Arizona, and the rest were you know California and sporadic throughout. But they always joked that the the people who could march and couldn't play were from Texas, and the people who could uh, sorry the people who could play and couldn't march were from texas and the people who uh, couldn't play and could march were from california and that made up the blue devils 
Um, so <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess we'll just start wrapping up. Um, I'll, I'll do, I'll say my closing words and then we'll throw it around. Um, first off, thank you guys so much for calling the episode. This is, been both infuriating for great reasons because y'all are made in the hot texas sun so whatever but more importantly it's just awesome to hear that as an educator there's states in our great union where we're having a lot of oddness happen i think that's a good description for this current political climate but it's just it's really comfortable to hear that someone really values education um and not just for music it's i'm like i i think like we could we all like David's made a very good point of, as band directors, we oftentimes, or like music folks, we think like, oh, we're doing this. It sounds like Texas as a whole with any extracurricular activity very much values their education. So if you're playing, if you see a football player, a baseball player, um, chess player, any, it seems like any person doing that, like they're being cared for in the classroom and has that community aspect. And it's just something... I'm going to take from this call as an educator, especially from the special education side of things, to having students that might struggle to do the actual curriculums they want. I'm going to try and adopt things like that. So y'all might get some messages from me about how to maybe make one of those systems for myself and share that with my band director as we're trying to, you know, it's, it's a really great reset year for education as a whole. Um, I'm very excited for some of the new things. Cause like we didn't do standardized tests last year. So do we ever need to do them again? I don't know, but I get rid of them. But I, I think there's a lot to, we could learn from this year. And I also think there's just a lot we can learn from states that don't just put out great music because that's cool. But like, I can put out great music, but I wasn't a very good student. And I struggle as a person sometimes. But it seems like everyone I met from Texas that's done the music program, they're just awesome people. They're fun to talk to. And they're just I just see them as successful. So I guess uh, I'll just throw off to Aubrey. Do you have any closing conversations about why Texas is the greatest state or whatever? But like, and then we'll just kind of float around the horn from there. Um, I don't know. I just think it's been a lot of fun to kind of brag about like, um, like the support that we have and the the um the the good times that we we tend to have. Um, I don't know. I just think it's it's a really established thing here in Texas and it's just really cool to have been a part of that like even though I I didn't really know going into it like I wasn't I didn't really appreciate it as much as I do now as I've stepped away and been able to look at it like I kind of wish I would have had that appreciation going into it so I think it's it's really cool to have had that experience from the beginning gotcha uh Brad what about you uh, I just have two quick things. The first is about Texas. You know, I did my undergrad at the University of Kentucky, and uh, there was another undergrad one year ahead of me, Kyle Forsoff from Kentucky, or from Texas. I think he was from the, maybe the Woodlands, maybe not, but he would always brag about how great Texas was. And I was just like, shut up. You know, it's just a state. What's what's so great about a state? And then I moved down here and uh, I, I totally get it now. And so it's just one of those things you got to see to believe. And I'm, I'm very grateful to be here and hope to stay a long, long time. Uh, the other thing, since this is the Drum Corps podcast, is my one piece of advice for uh, all my students when they start to mention they're going to audition for Drum Corps is they always say, well, I like Core A, but I'm also going to uh, audition at Core B and C. And I just tell them, 
stop. Just don't do that. Go after the one you want to go for. You know, do not split yourself three ways because you're going to not make any of them. And you think you have a backup and really the backups are killing your chance at maybe being at the one you would really love to do. So I tell my students, shoot for the moon, go for it. If you get cut, figure it out from there. It's not the end of the world. A lot of cores still accepts people after the first, you know, actually first few camps, you know, four or five camps. And even in the summer, you know, you see people getting hurt. And so it's not that you can't march. Uh, you may be at the, your favorite place if you're lucky. It may be at a different place if you're lucky. And so uh, I would just really encourage students to not have so many backup plans for their audition experience and really just put all your effort into one thing and go for it. And, and that comes from, uh, you know, when I did cadets, I, I did the same thing. I put all my eggs in one basket and I was fortunate enough to make it. And I know not, that doesn't happen to everyone, but it can happen even for a first year uh, person who hasn't done drum corps prior to. So, you know, really, really just don't, don't give yourself a whole bunch of fallbacks. Go for it. Davis, what do you got? Yeah. So for me, whether it's, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a future educator or you are an educator, um, don't settle for seeing success in other areas and just accept it for what it is. Go out and find out what's going on that allows the, that greatness to happen and bring it in. I, you know, I grew up in Arizona. Band programs are small. My first marching band, we had 11 people in our marching band. You know, went to a little bit bigger school, had 40 kids. And for me, it was, you know, I'm going to go to the academy, learn what it's good to be good. Then eventually it was, I'm going to go to the Cavaliers. Then I'm going to go to the Blue Devils. And it took me out to the point where, you know, I finally learned about what Texas was. And I said, you know, I'm not just going to look at that and see that it's good. I'm going to go out and find out you know, what they're doing out there that made it successful. And I was very blessed to meet, you know, a, a fantastic, great educator and Mark McGay, who took me in and showed me a lot of what was going on that made that program successful. And it allowed me to take that back to my program in Arizona and really um, inspire some kids and, and give them access to something that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. And even since then, you know, there are so many great educators in Texas who just want to help further education in other states i know i i just sent an email to you know jenna Yi, who you mentioned earlier from actor sectionals on on a whim and said hey can i come down early for team ea and you know observe your band program and there there are so many teachers out there in texas who want to help so you know if you have the ability go to team ea if it happens this year reach out to some educators in texas and it doesn't even have to be texas you know it could be indiana california there are great teachers all all across the country but don't just settle for something you know seeing something and wishing oh i wish that was you go out there learn about it you know ask for help don't be afraid don't be proud you know try to find those solutions for your kids because you know if you're not looking for it for your kids then you know who, who else is going to do that you got to give them you know every advantage possible and the more you have you, the more you can give. So that's what I have to say on, on this Texas topic, y'all. Yeah. Uh, Cody, what do you got? Um, I guess just that I'm really grateful that I did have the chance of someone who grew up in Texas to step out of my comfort zone into East Coast Drum Corps um, because it's not only important for us to see all the positives in here, but it's also important to learn from those around us um, to get the experience in other cultures in other 
groups and other teaching styles. And I especially love when my East Coast family gets to talk about and meet my West Coast or Texas family. West Texas is West Coast. Interesting. Interesting. I think she said best coast. Is that what you said? The best coast? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Vanguard and Blue Devils would say that, you know, Texas is West Coast based on. Well, we never talk about the Gulf Coast. We never talk about Jimmy Buffett or like, you know, just boat pontoons tied to each other enough. That's my that's my neck of the woods. So, uh, Mark, what do you got for us? Davidson alluded to this, especially towards all the educators. The I would I was assuming I'm from Oklahoma originally, but I thought for sure when I would come to Texas and all the the uh, the best educators, I thought for sure they wouldn't want to share their secrets and how they did things. And I had that totally opposite. Every one of them to the to the nth degree would say, sure, come and watch rehearsal. I welcome you here. And then they would share materials with me. They would help out with uh, a, send me a videotape of your performance. I'll be glad to comment on it. And I was shocked how giving everyone is because see, they're already thinking two more places down. That's it's it's okay for them. They're not they're not seeing it as a competitive part. They're willing to share and be a lot more side by side. I think that if you could reach out to anyone that you you hear, whether it be a podcast of after sectionals or someone on this right here, you could figure out, hey, I want to go in and talk to those people and see if I can kind of be a part of that. Uh, whether it be attending the, their rehearsals or go to a state convention, and it's very inspiring, but also just the the wealth of knowledge that's at there with from pedagogical uh, clinics that all of them put on or books they've put out uh it's it's great and it, it's very it's a very supportive community it really is um so i guess um with that um i guess we're approaching the end uh so on my hat on my end just on behalf of the drum corps podcast uh, to our guests cody brad mark davis aubrey thank you guys so much for coming on i know i've been talking a lot um mostly because i run the tech side of things on the for these episodes but this has really been informative and i learned a whole lot and everything's just been fascinating so again thank you guys for coming on thanks for having us <laughs> appreciate it absolutely thank you for the opportunity <laughs> yeah just uh, uh, echo cyrus uh thanks a lot for coming on y'all and uh <laughs> similar to brad i, I guess I, I first figured out texas was a thing at, at my first uh tour at blue nights when so much of our core was from texas and you know i kept thinking you know the the stars aren't actually brighter there uh, <laughs> and uh, it's not that big a deal it's not that great but i think i've slowly gotten a, a greater appreciation and love of texas uh so thanks thank you all for uh deepening that love and uh I think now I'm going to have to look into grad school in Texas after all these uh, great conversations. I also like how your Wi-Fi, you so I like how your Wi-Fi started like crapping out when you started like, are the stars bright? Is Texas great? And then what you said, it is to like the, your reception on my end just like cleared right up. So it's just like, you can't even ah. like the internet won't even let you bad mouth Texas no. because we got, we have that so, Texas censorship thing that you guys just right, don't know yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess that that 5G is uh, based on it. <laughs> Holy crap! All right, all right, all right. <laughs> well, okay. It, 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 I, hopefully, I didn't start another conspiracy theory in these uh, troubling times. But uh, thanks again for coming out, uh, and thank you all to everyone that was watching live uh, on our Facebook page, and uh, thank you all to everyone that's uh, listening 
later on on the Apple, Spotify, or uh, any of wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, but uh, thank you all. Have a good weekend, and uh, see you on the other side. Go Texas. Have a box five weekend, everybody. Thanks for having us, Axum Jacks. Uh-huh. <laughs>